what I would say is think about that one person that you want to impact. Don't think about it as like, I want to change the world and I want to be the next amazing health coach or whoever might has inspired you. You might be looking to that person and thinking, is my business going to be that? But I would think about the one person that you can impact and you can start doing that now, even before you officially launch your business. Welcome to The Ziggler Show, where we inspire your true performance. I'm your host, Kevin Miller. In this show, we're talking about how you have overcome lacking confidence, being scared and insecure, and achieved something anyway. If you'll remember, in show 615, we talked with Jessica Honiger about this issue. I just couldn't leave Jessica's message on going scared uh, from her book, In Perfect Courage, Live a Life of Purpose, Leaving Comfort and Going Scared. I couldn't leave that message. So I posted this question on Facebook. What is something you were lacking confidence in, a bit scared, insecure, but you did it anyway? And what made you do it anyway? Well, the question brought a high volume of responses. And I had Jessica come back and join me to talk through them for the Q&A. It was a wowing conversation. She's so insightful. And I think you'll get massive inspiration and, and equipping from it. So we're going to get started right away after I share just a couple great resources with you. Okay, here then again, we talk through a load of Facebook comments to this question. What is something you were lacking confidence in? A bit scared, insecure, but you did it anyway. And what made you do it anyway? I'm honored to be joined by Jessica Honiger. Here we go. All right, Jessica, well, as I said in the intro, in doing the interview with you and talking about going scared, which I love the concept, I told everyone I just couldn't let it go at that. So posted this question, so many responses. Thanks for taking the time to join us again to do this today. Absolutely. And I, I'll have to tell everybody, you're in Denver right now, almost my backyard, a couple hours away, meeting with my wife for another interview tonight. So I'm so stoked you guys are doing that. Uh, me too. Well, here, I'm going to dive in. We have so many comments. We won't get through half of them probably, but such good ones and some who just want your counsel. And I know you'll have something to give for all of them. So Jeff Frias, he says, I would like to apply for a management position at my job, but I feel like I still haven't learned enough in the past two years I've been there. I've been improving my skills, learning new systems and getting more responsibility in my current role, but I don't know when is the right time to take the next step towards applying for a higher level position. I definitely have the education, but no experience working as a leader in the health insurance industry, although I've led and developed a lot of processes in the past two years. I don't know if it's too soon to start looking or do I continue learning and growing? You know, you're always going to be learning and growing. That's the wonderful thing about leadership is there's no point of arrival. And I think that we have a point of arrival in mind and it is often an unrealistic standard. And honestly, the actual applying for this promotion will be a growing experience. And I'm trying to, I'm banging my head right now thinking what would be, what would be a poor outcome from applying and not getting it other than like your self-esteem. I don't really see, you know, why I, I only see it being able to help you. I only see it being able to be part of your growth. And if it sounds like you might be afraid of rejection or you might be afraid to be told, no, you're not ready. But again, you're only going to learn from that. 
because you'll actually get to go through a process and hear about what is being looked for in that position. So you're actually going to now, you know, put yourself through some scrutiny and then the hiring manager is going to say, you know what, we want to see this, this, and this. So I say you need to go ahead and apply and there's no absolutely hundred percent point where you are ready for leadership. Beauty. All right. Jeff is on Facebook. You can invoice him there for that council. Thanks, Jessica. <laughs> all right. All right. Jeff. All right. Uh, Jessica Moyer says, I am building my business targeted at mid-age women who are struggling with their why purposeful life and wellness coaching and sometimes feel stuck as to what the next step should be. Uh, then the self doubt sneaks in. My goal is to have it all by January. Have it ready. Uh, 80% of the time I'm confident, but in those quiet moments, I question if I can be successful learning to turn the negative thoughts into positive actions. The biggest struggle for me is worrying about the health of my family. I lost a son at the age of nine months to a genetic disease. And since that day, I struggle with the fear of disease and death. I'm working mm. daily to let go of what I can't control, but it is sometimes easier said than done. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Well, I, I'm so sorry about that. And grief is a messy, messy journey. It's not, doesn't follow predictable, uh, predictable linear line. And some days you are feeling like you've got it. And then some days you're right back to where you feel like the death just happened. And I feel like you're doing what's right. You're acknowledging that, that this is hard. You're acknowledging that there's self doubt there, but it sounds like you're still making the action towards starting your business. And what I would say is think about that one person that you want to impact. Mm. Don't think about it as like, I want to change the world and I want to be the next amazing health coach or whoever might has inspired you. You might be looking to that person and thinking, is my business going to be that? But I would think about the one person that you can impact and you can start doing that now, even before you officially launch your business, quote unquote, in January, you know, I would hope that you already are taking on a couple of people, um, maybe informally and saying, Hey, I would, um, like to kind of coach you. I'm trying, I have this program I'd like to put you through. Would you be open to that? And, you know, I think you're doing the right thing by just acknowledging the self doubt. I think it's, uh, I think successful people don't feel a hundred percent confident 100% of the time. I think if they do, then they're not on that growth curve. So I think that we, you know, have fear about the things that we really care about. And if you're not kind of afraid or a little bit nervous or kind of that nervous excitement, then you probably don't care about it enough. So I'd say you're going in the right direction. If you're not afraid, you don't care about it enough. That is a quote, but we need to make a meme out of that one. Uh, <laughs> I like it. This is Krish Danham and he is, he's been involved with Ziggler. He's a speaker, a well sought out guy. And he posted this, the number one thing that Mr. Ziegler did to change my life was telling me, believe you belong. My cultural identity taught me to be subservient. Mr. Ziegler changed that. And this allowed me over the last 25 years to gain the confidence to believe I belonged. I just love that. He said that twice. And how him. many of us, yeah, want to believe we are worthy. We belong. I thought right. that was a big deal. Yeah, I think it's so important. And I think, you know, as Brene Brown would say, is you have to belong to yourself first mm. and not just constantly be looking for belonging outside of ourselves, but know that you're worthy of belonging, you're worthy of acceptance. And when you can approach your career, your entrepreneurial adventure, 
your parenting, whatever, from that place, it comes from a real place of faith and not fear. And that's where I think there's a lot of joy when you come from that place of belonging. So I love that. Believe you belong. Believe you belong. Belonging to yourself. That's, that's significant. Joanne Miller. Hmm. That happens to be my mom. Uh, so she, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Here, so here you go. I, I like this one. She says, writing a book for adults about creating a haven of peace was her, was her significant thing. She says, I'm not a family or marriage counselor with degrees behind my name, but this message of creating a foundation of peace beginning within the walls of our home and spreading to community and beyond was a message I was passionate about because I had so many people asking me questions about how I raised amazing, respectful children. Thanks mom. And maintained a good marriage for over five decades. I knew it was time to get that message in the format that others could hopefully incorporate into their own homes. I'm so glad I didn't let my fear and inner critic stop me. I, I so appreciated on that, uh, Jessica, that she spoke about degrees. She didn't have a counseling. Right, degree. She didn't have right. those things. I think she just probably hit a dramatic amount of people who are yeah. in that place. Uh, yes. Yeah. Where were you in feeling like, you know, did you have the degree, the, the Yeah, I license? didn't have money. I didn't have the background. I didn't have the degree. I didn't have the, you know, the confidence. But what I did have was passion. I had drive and I had this higher purpose. You know, at first Noonday started as a, an adoption fundraiser. So I had this purpose of getting Jack home. And then very quickly, my purpose began to be linked to the vendors and the suppliers and the artisans that we were purchasing from. Mm. And I think, you know, ultimately people are, we're wired for story and we just love story and we're not looking for degrees. We're looking for your, what's your unique story, the story that only you have out of the entire universe. You are the only one with your story. And I think there's so much power in being able to share your unique story. The other thing she said is she had so many people asking her questions. And I remember my dad, Dan Miller, who is a coach to coaches. And he's often said that when people talk about, I'd like to coach, I'd like to consult. He says, are people asking you for advice now? And I wonder how many people out there are already being asked for, they know how to do something. And people are saying, how do I do that? And that should be a a flag to say, maybe I could offer that. That's so true. I think it's a really powerful activity to sit down with a couple of your friends and say, what, what do you, what do you see? What's your why? You know, what, what do you see in me? You know, if you were to come to me for something, if you need help with something, what, what would you come to me for? What would you come to me with? And oftentimes, you know, other people can see us more clearly than ourselves. So I think that's a great activity. Well, here, Lisa Castone, she says, I went back to school for my MBA slash MHA. I have a strong clinical background, but totally lacking in the finance or business aspect of healthcare. I have two classes left and will have my second master's. This will be the resume booster for the future healthcare leadership roles. Now, I read that one because when it comes again to degrees and stuff, I, I sometimes question those, you know, are they needed? Do you literally need the ability? And if so, is that the place to get it? Or do you need it for your self-confidence, which is relevant as well. If you need to spend the money to have the degree to give your own yourself self-confidence, that's valid. But I like to weigh that in as much business as you've been involved with and hiring and, and working with people. I'm just curious on your take on that, on when Mm -hmm. do you really need a formal degree in in order to progress? 
you know, we really, I mean, and that just really depends on the culture of the company, but I would say that skills, you know, we look for culture fit. We look for aptitude for learning. We look for, you know, our culture, our values are, are you collaborative? Are you adaptable? Are you purposeful? Do you want to grow? And we look at that far above skill. Skill, you can, you know, that's as far as hiring for our company. I mean, skills, you can hire, um, a, you know, we call it, I call them a spike, like a consultant to come in to kind of give a very, very specific skill set. Um, but otherwise, you know, we're really looking for that values, that culture, that drive when we're hiring someone. Yeah. And, you know, I think that you got to be able to learn, you know, and if you're able to learn and you express that growth mindset, then, you know, I think that matters a lot more than what you've already learned. Well, I'll put it another question to you on that too. When she says that she has a strong clinical background, but totally lacking in finance and business, understand that. But then where do you, you know, harness your strengths and delegate those other aspects? I know where I met with a finance guy yesterday and I am ready to put everything over there because I don't need to touch anything that has a yeah. number sign next to it at all. I, I'm, I am highly deficient and, and I hate it. And it takes me 15 times as long. Why am I doing that? Yeah. And so I delegated right. that. And so where's that line of what you need to learn to give yourself more ability or what you need to say, no, that's delegate that thing. So I can flourish only in my primary area. I mean, I think the trick, the tricky part of it is that if you're not in a place yet where you can delegate as far as sure. maybe financially or, you know, if, it depends if you're looking for profitability, scalability, not sure. But, you know, at some point, you know, you're kind of doing it all. At the same time, I think you can always ask for help from others so that you can at least learn systems and, you know, that can help you with that. But I would say if you're at a point where you know, hey, I, I, I've got this clinical background, I want to focus completely on my clients. And if you're at a place to delegate out everything else, then I absolutely do that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, here, uh, this one's, this one I like Jennifer Meisel. She says, uh, don't tell my high school this, but my mom wrote almost every paper for me in school because I couldn't oh write. My gosh. Yeah. Like, I couldn't write as well as she could. Or so I thought she used elegant SAT worthy words. Finally in college, I was forced to have to do it on my own. Uh, so to answer your question, what made me do it? I was totally forced to. Anyway, mm. I, yeah. Anyway, I got an A and my English teacher wrote on the side that maybe I should consider a major in English. It totally wow. changed my world as I'm in the midst of writing my first novel. Wow. Yeah. What a Isn't big... that awesome? What I love about that is just it took someone, she didn't see herself in high school. And then it took this professor saying, I see you. Yeah. And she called her up into her potential. And that is just so powerful. You know, I just, it, I want to be that kind of person that sees others and calls them up into their potential. Like I said earlier, I think a lot of times we, we see other people more clearly than we actually see ourselves. And that's why I think it's so important to really call others up and see people. And that's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I appreciate that of being forced to, that's one of my primary methods of getting past Fear. Uh, here's yeah. just a, a blessed testimonial. Uh, Johnny Ferris. She says it, it was a turning in point in my life. Eighth grade gym class. I just moved up to Kentucky and knew no one. 
Uh, it wasn't like life on the army base. Making friends was difficult. A student there was giving me problems being that he was 16 and I was one of the two Asian kids in the school system. All the picking and teasing just boiled up one day. He hit me with a basketball. I blew up and challenged him right there. I had been running scared long enough. And I said, if you want to do something, then let's do it. Let's settle it right now. Right now, let's do this. Uh, I didn't care what was going to happen. I knew it wasn't going to be easy, but I would go down swinging if nothing else. Then I do remember saying to him, this is it. Do something or shut up and leave me alone. From that point, I realized that standing up wasn't that bad. He soon left later that year, and I never got the chance to thank him for changing my life. It was wow. a turning point. What kind of attitude is that? Yeah. That is awesome. And that was kind of that forced situation, too. Like, mm-hmm. you're either going to walk away or stand up and own, own your worth right in that moment. And mm-hmm. I love that. You I, know, I think we just have to have those moments where the the confidence and the the owning of our story becomes more loud than the owning of our, of our fear, you know? Yeah, totally. And I, I, to me, that strikes of the, how many movies have we seen where it took some oppressive challenge to make the hero rise up? Uh huh. That's Uh, right. I love his attitude. He missed the chance to thank him for changing his life. Um, (laughs) That's awesome. That is, that is beautiful. Um, Jeff Brown, she said, you'll appreciate this. Just working for myself. That was his big hurdle. I, mm. I, I'd about mustered the courage to take the plunge, uh, setting a quitting date far off in the dis- dis- distance when I was let go and pushed into doing it. Uh, and I haven't looked back since. Again, we got another forced one here. And how many self-employment stories have you heard where somebody wanted to finally took getting fired from the job that they were destined to since they obviously weren't mm-hmm. happy there? And then that made him do it. The only problem that I have with that, I mean, I appreciate that, but then we're usually in survival mode. It's hard to make the, the right choices at that point. I'm sure you've seen both sides of that coin. Somebody who's gone into it uh, proactively and somebody who's gone into self-employment reactively. Yeah. You know, and again, I think that it's, you know, so much of it is about the reaction, the reactivity is usually your internal dialogue, whereas the proactivity is usually, you know, you've had maybe some time to plan, but I think the outcome can still be similar. I think you can still have success no matter what sort of place you're coming from. It's more just how do you want the journey to get you there? But, you know, I think that, man, I, I'm like you, I mean, I'm one who likes to force myself to, be courageous. And sometimes that is from straight up getting fired from a job and you just got to hustle, you know, sometimes that's what it takes to just cause those voices that have been causing you to kind of stay seated. And suddenly you're just like, no, you can't, you've got to sit. It's like the chair you're sitting on is on fire. Like you really can't sit down or you'll burn, you know, burning. Here's the burning chairs. Um, (laughs) And thanks to these sponsors for bringing us today's show. Jeff Jones, he says, I was scared to death of speaking to a big public school, high school, a big public school, high school assembly in a gym. That's one of the worst combinations for someone who is not covered in tattoos, a recovering drug addict or a celebrity. 
Uh, which I got to call him out here. It's interesting because Jeff Jones was the lead drummer for a band for a lot of years, Big Daddy Weave, Christian rock band. Okay. Uh, so I, that's some credibility, Jeff, but I, yeah. I still hear you. Okay. So he says, when offered the event, I immediately accepted it. I prepared and took the bull by the horns. I would say I did okay, maybe a seven out of 10. However, I learned something. I can do whatever I put my mind to, but I also learned I don't need to do everything that comes my way, which I know mm. you can attest to, Jessica. I have since decided to never accept events like that again, and I will leave it to the ones who are really great with that kind of audience. I was warned yeah. how bad it would be, but I really took it to prove something to myself. I did it. Now I will not do it again. That audience is very tough. I was channeling my inner Tony Robbins for sure. Uh, I learned I'm, a, I'm great at speaking to adults, so I will yeah. do that from now on. Yeah, I thought there was a couple of different angles of interest in that one. So your thoughts. Well, I think it's really powerful when you can define what you're good at and what you want to do. So I just really appreciate that because I think that, you know, a lot of times, at least for me personally, I know I can, I'm a yes person and, and I'm sort of that jack of all trades type. So I, I sometimes approach an issue by saying, you know, what would make me really sad to not do anymore? What would give me energy? And so I just love that he was able to define like, this isn't my audience, you know, but I'm glad he did it. And I think that any public speaking, you know, opportunity that you do, you're going to grow from no matter who the audience is, you know, it's going to help you hone, you know, you're going to be able to read the audience better and be a little more reactive. So um, you know, if I was sitting with you right now, I would want to know, like, is this coming from a place of fear? Did you feel like a failure? You know, do you really feel like you have nothing to give that audience? Cause it sounds like you're like, well, you're not wanting to do it just because the audience is tough, but that doesn't mean that they're not necessarily going to grow from you. And so, you know, of yeah. course I'm always going to ch- be the challenger in the situation. Um, but at the same time, like if you've got other speaking gigs that you really enjoy and you feel like it, you can nail that audience and stick to that. Well, I guess an interesting part there, you said something about, would it give me energy? And I know that I've gotten to that point where I look at all the opportunities and have just realized what gives me energy, what doesn't. And on that note, public speaking, I can do it. I have done it. I get offers for it. It just is not my gig. And so, uh-huh. you know, where's the balance for you of saying, hey, challenge yourself. If you're given value, then do it anyways, or be attuned to what gives you energy or not and veer towards what does? Yeah, I think it really does depend on the your goals, mm-hmm. you know. And like for me, um, I really want to grow the brand of Noonday Collection. And I know that there's certain public speaking opportunities that come my way that would expose the brand. And so even if maybe it wouldn't necessarily give me energy, quote unquote, I actually always get energy once I'm speaking. And once I'm on stage, it's the leading up to it where I have to plan my content. (laughs) That's what can suck my energy a little bit. Amen. Yes. But, you know, I think you have to start with, well, what are your goals and what's the outcome? Because sometimes the outcome, you know, is it's worth maybe a little bit of the energy suck that, of what it is. I'm totally with you. I, I, hey, if anybody's listening, if you want a live Q&A off the cuff like this, I'm game. I'll do it. I'll be there. This stuff is so fun. I love this stuff. I'm giving a keynote tonight and I've been giving a lot of keynotes lately and I do like, I enjoy it, but I also, and keep telling myself that I'm still new in a lot of ways at it. And so, you know, whereas off the cuff live 
stuff is, yeah, it's easy for me. It's fun. I can think quickly on my feet. It's conversational. Yeah. I want the presentation part to be 10 minutes and just go to the Q and a for the rest of the hour. Yes. yes. Yeah, okay. totally. We'll do that gig together someday. Okay. All right. That'd be so fun. It's, I love it. Uh, so Sean Langwell here, he says, without a doubt, the biggest undertaking was writing and publishing a memoir about my broken relationship with my father and subsequent journey through addiction and recovery. I grappled with so much fear and lack of self-worth as to whether I should tell my story and make my recovery, which took over 31 years, public. I did, and as a result, have helped many in the process. The book is called Beyond Recovery, A Journey of Grace, Love, and Forgiveness. Mm. Yeah, so deep there. And how many people have significant pain that is probably shameful but could help so many others? Uh, Yeah. You know, vulnerability is what exposes shame. You know, I feel like shame actually can't exist in an atmosphere of vulnerability and there's so much power. You know, I wish everyone would write a book and I wish everyone would public speak and share their story because you just, you begin to rewrite your story in the sharing of it. So whereas you might be writing your story from a place of shame right now, but then as you begin to sort of share that story And then you kind of, you know, people respond to that story. It it just almost shapes the way you can rewire it in your brain. So I just, I love that people would write books, especially around, you know, especially something as challenging as overcoming addiction. Yeah, that one is one that continues to grow in in, in happening and in the need for help there every day, I think. Uh Michelle Rogers, she says, after going through a personal weight loss transformation that changed my life, I made a career pivot to become a certified fitness professional and teach classes. Talk about story. There you go. Everything about this was super scary to me, but I felt a true calling to do it. And I figured if God was calling me to do this, then he must know I can do it. Even if I wasn't so sure he was right. I'm so glad I pushed through that fear and lack of confidence to tackle something big and new today. I'm helping to change lives just as mine was. It's the most rewarding thing I've ever done. And guess what? It turns out that not only can I do this, I'm great at it. This experience really taught me that to accomplish something big, we might feel the fear, but need to do it. Anyway, um, there, that's you, right. there you go. Um, th- that's it that you see every day and you lived it out. Yes. Yes. I think yeah. it's, it's the message of anyone that's, uh, stepped into their purpose is you've had to overcome self doubt and you've had mm-hmm. to just let fear become your friend. Well, and she actually ends it. I didn't read the last sentence. It says faith got me through and still does. I mean, so when you talk about that, as far as your book, I mean, the, the tagline, you know, the book's imperfect courage, the tagline is live a life of purpose by leaving comfort and going scared. Yeah. Talk about that on faith. Being scared is one thing. Having faith is another, uh, I would assume for, you know, even as a topic for your book. Yeah. Yeah. I think that for me, faith is knowing that no matter what the outcome is, I know who holds my outcome. I know that no matter what I get God in the end. Mm. And there's a lot of peace that comes from really walking in that conviction, knowing that I'm doing this with God as a co-creator with him, imitating with him. So, um, I just, yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah. 
Here's one, Jason Gary. He says, it was getting into sales. I've always enjoyed people, but like many, I believe the stereotype of salespeople was aggressive, greedy individuals. I needed a way to support my wife and child and a friend managed the home audio department of a local store. After many failed attempts to be a good salesman, I decided to try being myself and focus on helping customers solve problems. That's when everything changed. I love that. Yes. I love that. You know, we're constantly talking about that because, uh, you know, I own this direct sales business and so many women, you know, they hold back because they're like, I don't want to come off as pushy or the stereotypical salesperson. And we're like, wait, you have a gift to offer. You know, what's the gift that you have to offer? People want to use their money for good. You've got that gift. Mm -hmm. um, a woman wants to feel beautiful. You've got that gift. Um, someone needs a gift for an upcoming event. You've got that gift. Someone um, has an upcoming event that she doesn't know what to wear. You can style her. So I just love coming at sales from that's really what it is. You're just helping to solve people's problems. Yeah, I love it. And, and it speaks right to one of my favorite Zig quotes. And it's uh, in essence, let's see if I can get it, get it correct. If uh, you have a product or service, you know, can help somebody, it is your moral obligation mm. to sell it. Uh, that's what, powerful. That's one of my one of my favorites, when you know you can help somebody, how often do we know that we can, but we're scared because of these reasons? Yes. I love thinking it as your moral obligation. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I say like, if, and if you choose not to offer yourself to someone, then you are actually robbing them. Well, and how many times have you been in a situation where you know you can help someone you didn't and they suffered as a result. Yeah, that's true. Uh, and yet we don't want to risk. And th this one speaks to me. I think it's one of my favorites because it does speak to me because I can easily be that person because I'm a people mm. pleaser. Yeah. I don't want to confront you on something. I don't want right. to teach you. I want to make you happy and say nice things and make you feel yeah. good about yourself. So you'll like me. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, this isn't a counseling session for me. We'll do that later. Uh, Jennifer, she says, I've always wanted to be a real estate agent, but always thought of the real estate world as, this is very similar to the last one, as being very cutthroat. And I wasn't sure I would have what it takes. Three years ago, I had the opportunity to leave my full-time job, pursue a, a career in real estate. So I took the plunge and I've never looked back. It's not at all as cutthroat as I perceived it to be. And I found that I do have what it takes and feel like I found my calling. Mm, didn't realize that was so awesome. similar as the last one. Yeah. But uh, these misperceptions of something. We well, want to go and after. I think especially in real estate, you are really helping someone make probably the biggest financial decision that they'll ever make in their lives. So totally. a trusted realtor is no small thing. Yeah. Well, here's one on public speaking. As we talked about that a minute ago, Katie uh, Schroeder, she says, Public speaking is her, it was her fear. So I read books. I listened to Ted talks and podcasts on how to be a good speaker. I then practice on my own. And then in front yeah. of loved ones, uh, my hubby or mom would then give me insight on what I needed to make more to what I needed to make more clear and ask me questions. So I felt prepared, know your material inside out, dress nice and have confidence. Uh, I did, love that. did she hit it? I've yeah. Yeah. You know, I think that, um, you know, I read this book called team of rival rivals about president Abraham Lincoln, hmm. and it's really, it's a several hundred page book and it's letters that he wrote back and forth with, with thousands, thousands of letters between many different people. But I was really struck by how much he practiced mm -hmm. his speeches and he would pull the cabinet together and he would just practice, practice, practice. And I think a lot of people look at public speakers or, and then they think, oh, that looks so effortless. 
Yeah. You can just get up there and do that. I'm like, no, 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 no. That took a lot of hours, you know, of practice. Um, someone said the other day, it's like, well, you're getting paid that to give a keynote. I'm like, it's not getting paid for that 30 minutes. Like you're right. getting paid for like all the time that it took to practice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're talking, you know, this is Malcolm Gladwell's book outliers of these people weren't brilliant. They spent their 10,000 hours. I mean, Zig Zig Ziglar was the consummate one. I mean, you can ask that's, you know, Tom, Tom Ziglar's testimony is that he was a student of speaking more than anyone else. He didn't fall out of the sky. Yeah. He was one of the most astute. He practiced and practiced and memorized. I mean, down to the, this is when I'm going to kneel on the edge of the stage. This is when I'm, this is when I'm going to pause my voice for impact. It is. But like you talked about, man, I am not a preparer. I don't really want to do that. I just want to get there and do it off the cuff and hope it was good. And, uh, you know, know. Pe- people will tell me afterwards if I did any, any good and he practiced and practiced and we all look at him and think that he was this superhero and Tom saying, no, right. he was a student. So he was a student. Yes. Yes. Um, well, your wife's going to hear me speak tonight, so you'll have to grill her. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Of course, I have, like wrote the talk on the airplane today. See? So. Yeah. Well, it, it's also when it's on your topic, you know, you yeah, know, it like yeah. the back of your That's hand. True. So just turn it into a Q and a, you know, make exactly. it. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, well here, this one I appreciate because it's from my dad, Dan Miller. My parents both like this topic. He says, when I went to graduate school, I didn't know this story. He says, when I went to graduate school at age 26, I got a teaching assistantship. So I would be teaching a couple of classes of introductory psychology. I thought someone would be helping me set up the curriculum and the teaching process. No such luck. I was totally on my own. The first few days I would go to the bathroom to deal with my nausea before walking into the classroom. My assistantship income was dependent on doing it, but I was so convinced that if I could face the fear, it would serve me well. That was the beginning of learning to speak in front of groups, and that has indeed served me well, uh, very well in the years since. And as his son, I can say that I saw him go after so many things that he believed in, was interested in, without knowing what was going on, and he just figured it out on the fly, which brings me back, I think, again, to that topic of, of faith. You know, it's such a big, mm. such a big component when we're talking about fear. And again, I know I already asked you about that, but in going forward, you know, do you feel like you've got to have, would you say that you've got to, you may be fearful, but you got to have some aspect of faith in yourself and your abilities. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, um, I mean, that ultimately is what's going to get you to not let your fear just paralyze you. You've got to believe that, you know, what you're going after is greater than your fear. And you've got to have faith that it's going to work out, right? That you're not going to die. You know, I mean, we're not, I'm not telling you to go bungee cord off of a helicopter over a volcano or something. You know, I think that we're just talking about stepping into places of risks where we don't know what the outcome is going to be. And there has to be this certain level of like, okay, well, even if this business fails, even if this, you know, I lose money, even if this happens, like I still belong to myself, you know, I still believe I belong. Mm -hmm. I still belong to God. And I think that that is what enables you to live a more courageous life. Well, I like your focus on the worst case scenario that I got to do. And as far as business was to look at, I mean, I'm an optimist, so it wasn't my nature to go on the pessimistic route, but to go there and say, what is the worst case scenario? Yeah. And it's so seldom as bad 
as we think, I saw something recently on just the, the, the insecurities we all have and that it was a, some kind of a poster where it showed what we really think. And it was you in the middle and everybody's looking at you and then what the uh, reality is. And it's you over here and everybody's over here, you know, on their smartphones probably. Oh, I want you to send that to me. It was brilliant. I, I have to find where I, where I pulled that yeah, up. I thought, oh, it's so, so true. So true. Well, this is interesting. Christine Odell, she says, I'm terrified of being last. So a few years ago, a group of friends challenged me to speak about what scares me most. I made a request to be the last presenter. I was in a panic attack all day. Then the time came that I uh, could chicken out and not be last, but I stuck to my guns. You have to face your fears head on or they will get the best of you. All right. So here's the kicker on that on I, now this, I don't, I have this, I posted this up cause I want to make sure we covered it, but she was the last submission to this question. And I thought oh, how, I so she, she wins. We need to send a that's prize great. for that. That's, yeah, I love that's the antidote guts. to our fear is just doing it. So yeah. I love that. Yeah. Um, Je- uh, Jessica, she says, uh, Olympic distance triathlon this past July, the swim was so intimidating, uh, for me, but with proper training and mindset, I conquered it each race. I also pick an intention to prey on and it motivates me tremendously. My next goal is a, ha- a half Ironman next year. You know what? Right on the tails of that, I'm going to read another one, uh, that I skipped over Gregory Byline. He says, I completed my first trail ultra race, 35 miles under train. He says, I was struggling with 20 mile runs and overstressed. I had 120 hours at work the 10 days prior, uh, low sleep and bad quality. I did it because I wanted to complete it regardless of pace and struggle so much more than I wanted to be unsuccessful in the attempt. I simply had to get it done regardless of the circumstances. Uh, I don't know if anybody can be fully uh, comfortable in going after an event that big, an endeavor that big, but I see it. And I'll ask you, I see that sometimes I'll do that with myself. Go after something so monstrous, just Uh, complete it. It makes everything else feel easier. That's a really good idea. I feel like I'm going after so much with my job that it's just like growing the brand of noonday collection. I mean, we really are. Our goal is to be a household brand. So I feel like I'm just putting everything into that, but it's interesting to think about doing something a bit audacious, like, I don't know, signing up for a marathon or something. (laughs) Isn't it? Yeah. I, uh, that is, that is big. You know, it's funny. I got to, here's, here's just a side, sidestep antidote. My wife and I went to, we go to, we've gone to Mexico a few times, go to one of the all-inclusive resorts and do that. Uh Well, so I wanted to be adventurous. And so this last time we went to Tulum, got a place on our own in this secluded, uh, cove uh-huh. and we're just going to, I wanted to cook. I wanted to catch fish, do it myself. Uh-huh. We went there and what we ended up doing was a lot of work. And I realized, you know, <laughs> thank goodness. My life is so adventurous. I don't want this on my vacation. Yeah. I want to no. be taken care of and please bring me my drink while I sit. Bring in my me little my cabana. drink. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to cook on vacation. There you go. No, <laughs> I, definitely not. I learned that this year. So uh, vacations from here That's on. That's a good be... lesson. Although I love to loom. I love to loom. Yeah. Okay. We went this last time and uh, they had uh, a big seaweed problem. So we'll have to try it again. Oh, that's, not that's there. too bad. Yeah. All right. Last one here. I thought this was just interesting. Travis Stevens says his fear was full surrender to the Lord fear that I would lose my identity or self and finding that I will not really know my true self and purpose uh, until I do that though. So he's, I think he's just putting that out there. That's Mm. an interesting full surrender to the Lord is his fear because he thought I would lose my identity 
or self? I haven't pondered mm. that one. That one just stuck out to me because that's weighty. Yeah. I feel like Christianity can have that sort of reputation. I think a lot of times we've seen religiosity and yeah. people living into trying to be someone that they're not trying to be good. And gosh, I think the beauty of like true faith is that you actually get to be gloriously and ordinarily exactly who God created you to be when you actually step into partnership with him. Gloriously and ordinarily who God made you to be. Good line. We'll end on that one. That's a okay. good start. Hey, thank you again for being here. This is our third thank show. You. With you. That's, that's, uh, it was just such a, such a big topic. I, I wish I could be there tonight to hear you speak on it. But oh, I'll, I can't wait to meet your wife. I'll get the replay from her. But just okay. thanks again for putting this message out and for giving your time to us. Thank you. Have a great afternoon. Thanks. Bye-bye. Friends, I'm betting you got a new lease on life for some things you want to go after, but have maybe not felt confident enough in. Uh, big thanks to Jessica Honiger for bringing us this topic and doing the Q&A with me. You can connect with her more at jessicahoniger.com. That's H-O-N-E-G-G-E-R. If you got value from the show, please let Jessica know. Leave a review in iTunes for The Ziegler Show and mention this specific show. It will bless her so much as it will me. Well, coming up next in show 619, you must know that Zig Ziglar came to fame primarily due to his live speaking. That's really what put him on the map. Now, his books, of course, reached many more people, but uh, that public speaking was really what made him. He was a master of the stage, but let me dispel a myth. He was not a natural. He didn't just fall out of the sky with this natural inclination to speak perfectly. What's impressive is how much he studied to become a master of the stage. I mean, he rehearsed, he memorized, uh, he tested out when to pause, when to kneel, how to enrapture the audience. So here's the deal. We all have a stage with our businesses that we need to leverage well. How do we capitalize with them? And on the actual aspect of speaking, I'm bringing you today's master, Pete Vargas. Ziegler is helping promote Pete's upcoming workshops, but of course, I'm digging into his personal story, which is just significant. It turns out he's headquartered in Colorado Springs, right down the road from me. So we got to meet up for lunch and talk before the interview. So I'll have even more insight for you than normal. I really hope you can join us. Till then, thank you for letting me walk with you as we inspire our true performance together.